Good evening. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 18. Um, I have the wonderful responsibility at 4 a.m. when it snows to go check roads. Um, so those of you who are in education, there is someone whose job that is. <laughs> And I don't get paid any extra for it. I just have to get up at 4 a.m. And if there's any chance of precipitation, I get up. So most nights I just go peek out the window. And Some nights I walk in my robe to the end of the driveway. My neighbors probably think I'm crazy. But um, the point of, of this is, is last, I want to say it was last Monday morning, we got some unexpected snow and it hit pretty late. And so um, I got up and... and Went out, and when you go out in the brisk temperatures from after being asleep for, I think it was four hours, it's hard to go back to sleep. Um, you know, I was, and, and your senses are heightened. Um, the one time my Fitbit actually said I was asleep from 4 to 4.30. I'm like, I was driving. Um, but this last Monday, I, I, I got up and, and um, checked the roads and, it was really cold, and, and I, it was a longer drive than normal because the roads were pretty bad. And uh, so I got home, and I wasn't tired. And so I, I sat down, and I, I started reading through Matthew. And in our Bible study, we've been in Matthew. I haven't been there the past two times. Um, but we've been in Matthew for almost a month now. And so uh, we can't seem to get through that book, which is a good thing. I mean, it's the teachings of, of Jesus, so it's, it's not a bad thing. Uh, but every time... Bible study meets, we only get to three or four chapters. So um, I wanted to reread it, and so I just sat down, and here's the benefit of that. Um, I don't know. I think a lot of times as Christians, our Bibles are so fancy that they have headings on them, and so like we skip to the heading that we want to read, and we don't read it without just it, as a book. Like if it were a book, I mean it is a book, but if it were a novel, you would sit down and let's say that Matthew was a chapter, you would read the entire chapter. Does that make sense? And so we have a habit of a lot of times as we go in and, and we'll just say, oh, I'm going to read chapter 19. Well, those numbers and those chapters weren't added until many years later. So the Bible actually has, if you read it chapter to chapter, there, a lot of times there's consistency from chapter to chapter because it's a story. Um, and so when you read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Chapter 6, chapter 7, there, there are themes. And as you read Matthew, there's a lot of themes that come out. Um, and I know last time I preached, I, I preached on the kingdom of heaven, and I focused on specifically the scripture of, of the treasure and, and the pearl of great price. But as I was reading through Matthew, again, this time I, I kept noticing that, that Jesus was bringing up a lot about forgiveness. Um, so we're going we're gonna to talk about forgiveness tonight. And I think it's a big thing because... It can create, we can become monsters, church. We can become bitter. We can become nasty people. And to those people who have wronged us that we hold unforgiveness to, a lot of times we can just write them off and say, you know, I don't, I'm not even going to associate with that person. I'm not going to go near them. I'm not going to talk to them. And so we avoid them. And I think a lot of times we forget that they're still a child of God. And it's so hard. And, it, and in my position, it's even harder. 
um, because a lot of times it's, we butt, head, uh, butt heads with management issues. And so I'm trying to do my job, and a lot of times I catch resistance for that, and then, then it becomes personal. And I always try and take the personal out of it, but it's, it's hard. And so then it becomes personal against me. And there, there's one person who is the epitome of, of all evil that, that works in our district. And, and, and Carrie knows who it is. And, and I have unforgiveness towards this person that I need to work on. And I'm telling you here from this pulpit, it is the single hardest thing that I can do. Because I think of all the terrible things this person has done. Maliciously. To me. Personally. Not even management to um, staff member. It's personal. I feel like I have every right to not forgive them. That person is still a child of God. And when I read this scripture early in the morning on Monday morning, I about, I about fell over in a little rocking chair I was sitting in because I'm like, whoa. So let's, let's begin. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start with verse 20, 21. It says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. And seven is the number of perfection. So I've heard it said before that, you know, it's 70 times the number of perfection. And so perfection upon perfection. So infinitely. Jesus wasn't actually saying you only have to forgive someone 490 times. That's not the moral of this story. What Jesus was saying is you need to forgive your brother as many times as they sin against you. And that's tough, church, because every time someone does wrong against us, it opens a new wound. And sometimes that wound's not even closed before another one is open. And we want to hold that, that unforgiveness. But again, we become bitter and we lose the love of Christ when we have unforgiveness in our heart. So the scripture goes on, it says, And Jesus said to him, I do not say uh, up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought in whom he owned, uh, sorry, whom he owed him ten thousand talents. And I've heard this described as over a million dollars. So this servant owed the master over a million dollars. A very... Very, very large debt. Over, over, million, you know, over millions of dollars. <clears throat> but at, as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, that payment may be made. Now notice, he didn't just require the servant's life. He required the servant's spouse, his children, and all that he had. That's how great this debt was. It didn't just require that he be sold as a slave and that the payment of him being sold would pay off the debt. His entire family had to be sold and all of his possessions, everything that he owned had to be sold, church. That's how big the debt is. It was over a million dollars. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me. I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him his debt. And we know that this 
signifies Christ forgiving our debt. The trespasses of sin that we have. Now church, that, that debt is so big that we cannot physically pay it. And I preached a little bit on that last time. We can't do it. We can't do it through good works. We can't physically repay the debt that we have to Christ. It's a gift. It was free. Jesus forgave us our sins. The blood of Jesus Christ forgives us our sins. We cannot repay that debt. We couldn't do it through works. And now we can't do it, uh, we can't do it uh, based on um, our, own, our own effort. We physically can't pay back the debt that Jesus has, has uh, gotten rid of. But what's required of us? If you see the actions that happen after, you'll know what is required of us. <clears throat> but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. And I've heard this um, calculated at, at a couple thousand dollars. So he was, he was forgiven a debt of over a million dollars. And he immediately goes out and he grabs another servant. Someone else that he worked with who owed him a couple thousand dollars and grabs him by the throat and says, give me what you owe me. Pay me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me. I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay his debt. And so he did not have the same compassion that the master had with him. Well, church, this is about the point where I about fell off the rocker thinking, oh my gosh, how foolish am I? How foolish am I that Christ died and forgave all of my sins? A debt so large, I could never repay it. And I have the audacity To hold something against someone else. To hold unforgiveness against someone else. Think about that. You cannot repay the debt that Christ forgave you. It is is too large. And we have the ability. It's within us. Our flesh has that ability to hold unforgiveness against someone else. Church... We cannot hold unforgiveness. We cannot. In doing so, we lose the love that, we, that Christ gives us to give with other people. We destroy the light that is within us. So when his fellow servant had saw what had been done, they were grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. And then the master, after he called them, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Church, Think about the debt that you owe that can only be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That would be what's required to repay God. 
You can't. So what that scripture is saying is, you would be put into torture, signifying hell, because you can never repay that debt. If you hold unforgiveness in your heart, you are guilty of hell. So I started thinking, you know, a lot of times we want to we want to jump straight to, okay, I'll forgive that person. But there are things we have to do before we can uh, for, forgive other people. We've got to make ourselves right. We've got to make sure we're in right standing with God. We make sure our, our motives are right. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 says, You've heard it said that those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go away. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come to the altar, uh, come to offer your gift. Jesus is, is saying, you're guilty of murder if you have anger in your heart towards someone else. Because this is what happens, church. If you have anger or unforgiveness in your heart and you harbor that, it festers. And the more you let it sit there, the angrier, the, bitter, uh, the, the bitterer you become. <clears throat> it's going to lead to other actions. You have to, you have to correct that. And actually, Jesus says, don't even come to the altar. Don't bring your offerings to offer to God. Don't come to the temple with your gifts to God. If you have something, if you have odd against your brother, you need to go correct that first before you come to God. There might be people in here right now that you've got an issue with, that you might have unforgiveness with. And I think, man, every time we come down to this altar, we're disobeying the words of Jesus Christ because Jesus says, go be reconciled first before you come down to the altar, before you lay gifts on the altar. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 says, uh, this is a huge weight that should be uh, lifted off of, of, of your shoulders. I know it was off of mine. Judge not that you be not judged. Church, it is not our responsibility to judge. Now later on we will look. Jesus tells us to have discernment, to make judgment calls. But judgment belongs to Christ. It's not our, our responsibility. So we have to work on ourselves first. <clears throat> Scripture says, For with the judgment you judge, you will also be judged. And with the measure you use, it, uh, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eyes, but, but, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? And I remember as a little kid on a Sunday night, Uncle Bruce bringing an actual a long two-by-four. 
And he was holding the two by four up, walking around like this, right? Swinging all about. And it looked ridiculous, but I was probably nine or ten years old, and I still remember that. And I think, that's how ridiculous we look. When, when we try and correct someone else and try and grab that speck out of their eye and we're beating them over the head with a two-by-four. Scripture says, first remove the plank from your own eye before you try and help out your brother. That saying is, church, we have to focus on ourselves. And, and, and I, I have... I think I have a pretty compassionate heart and I, I want to save everyone. And that's just, it's in me. But you can't save everyone and compromise yourself. You have to make sure that you're right. That scripturally, you're lining up your life with the word of God. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck in your own eye and look a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye. And then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. <clears throat> Church, we have to work on ourselves as well. You know, there's a joke in the office. <clears throat> One of the other administrators. She'll be ranting about someone. And, you know, a lot of times it's just sitting there listening to her and and then she always ends with, because, you know, I'm perfect. And what she's saying is, you know, she's just gone on and on and on about this person, but she herself has flaws. And it is, it's ironic that, that we hold unforgiveness in our hearts towards other people because we ourselves are perfect, right? I'm sure there are people in here that I've wronged. I'm not perfect. We're not. We have things that we need to work on. We have to remove the plank before we go and try and remove the speck out of our brother's eye. We have to work on ourselves. If you continue on, as I said, <clears throat> uh, judgment is not ours. Uh, we're not given the judgment. That's, uh, judgment belongs to the Lord. But we are instructed to, to have discernment. Um, verse 15 says, Beware false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. What does your fruit look like, church? When we hold unforgiveness in our hearts, it's bitterness. And that's what people see. And I wish that I could tell you all of the evil that has been done to me by one person that I work with. I wish I could. But I can't. It wouldn't be healthy. But I have unforgiveness in my heart towards that person. And I need to work on that. I need to get the plank out of my own eye. And what does that fruit look like to the other people that I work with? To the other administrators? When I say, oh, they're at it again. This is what they did. And again, it begins to fester and grow. And I'm, I'm, I'm allowing the enemy to... To control my actions. 
What does that fruit look like, church? That's bitter fruit. It's bitterness. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, and every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Again, this isn't giving us the opportunity um, for judgment. Chapter 7 started saying, don't judge. It's the opportunity for discernment, but I also think it's an opportunity for self-examination. I look at this scripture and I think, man, what does my fruit look like? I hope it's good. I hope I have good fruit. Go on to chat, uh, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And when you read that without um, the headings, and you read the fruit flowing into, um, flowing into verse 21, those with bad fruit are the ones that God doesn't know. Those are the ones that God doesn't know. Again, church, it's an opportunity for self-examination. And unforgiveness in our hearts is something we have to examine. It could be within these four walls. It could be in your workplace. It could be in your house. Forgiving your spouse is one of the best things you can do for your marriage. It's also one of the hardest things you can do. Because what you do is you say, that person knows me better than anyone else. They shouldn't have done that. You know what? Your debt was over millions of dollars. And you were forgiven. And they're a child of God. And Christ forgave them. Christ has moved past their flaws. You do too. And actually, I heard it, uh, a message about a month ago. And it was, uh, the preacher was preaching to a bunch of ministers. And he spent the entire time. They thought they were coming to get this conference about how to make their ministries better. The entire time he spent talking about marriage. And he was talking about God's providence and what, what God has, has given them. And he said, you know, the way I look at marriage is God has given me a daughter of Almighty God. Now what do I do with that? I thought, man, so true. My wife is a daughter of Almighty God. Knowing that, it gives us an opportunity every single day to be Christ-like. Are we going to forgive them for their, for their flaws? Are we going to forgive them uh, for the things that we think need fixed? You know? That gives you a different viewpoint. When you look at the church as sons and daughters of God, it's an opportunity to be more Christ-like. And we want to fix people and make them more like us. It's an opportunity for us to demonstrate the love and the forgiveness and the grace of Almighty God in the workplace. You know, I wish everyone worked just like me, right? That's what we want to do. We want to make people just like us. But they are sons and daughters of Almighty God. 
they are due the same forgiveness by you that you were you received from God. <clears throat> Verse twenty four. Therefore, whoever's uh, whoever hears the sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. It did not fall, for it was founded on a rock. Church, are you going to hear the words of Christ and build your house on a rock? Because there's going to come a time that somebody is going to wrong you. It could happen tomorrow morning. And if you don't heed the words of Christ... And that rain comes, and you get bombarded. And I'm going to tell you right now, 100%, I'm getting bombarded tomorrow. 100%. It happens. The way Friday left off, tomorrow I'm getting bombarded. I'm just telling you right now. And actually, I'll quote someone on Friday. She said to me, well, all the teachers here think you did it. It's all on you. And I'm like, I just turned to her and I said, well, you know what? I believe that what I do every single day speaks louder than what you're telling them. And then I turned and walked away. And that bothered me all week. I thought, I just wanted to scream. Like, dragging, dragging my name through the mud, blaming things on me. That actually wasn't even my decision. It was the decision of someone under me, actually. But I support them and I support their decision. But... I just wanted to scream, and I wanted to hold that. You know, I didn't want to forgive her. I'm, I'm just mad at her. I'm mad that she said that. I'm mad that she's telling people to be mad at me. But again, what I do from here is what counts. Because if I hold that unforgiveness and I have that bitterness, I'm playing right into the game, church. But if I demonstrate the love and the forgiveness of Almighty God, actions and rep, uh, will re, re, uh, proceed the words and the things that are being said. You know, I always tell Carrie her reputation precedes her. Anytime she comes to me, they're doing this. I'm so upset. I always tell her, your, what you, your reputation precedes anything that anyone's going to say about you. And that goes back to the fruit, the fruit that's on your tree. What's your reputation? What's your reputation going to be tomorrow when you're wronged? And it's not about you. It's about God. It's about Christ. It's about that your reputation is tied to Almighty God and to being a Christian and to being a little Christ. Where, where's your house built, church? Is it on the rock? Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, whoever hears these sayings of mine, is like him who built his house on the rock. So when the storms come and the rain comes down, is your house going to stand? Are you going to be the one going, well, that stupid person, they said this, and that's in me. It's in me. It's in me to flip a lid and, and just to be irate, to hold on forgiveness, and to say, you know what? I'm not even going to go down that hallway. I'm not even going to talk to that person. I'm going to exclude them from emails. See how they like that, right? And so like, we find all these little ways to send people's zingers. One time, I quoted Paul of Tarsus because this person was giving me such a hard time, I put it at the bottom. Uh, let no one despise your youth, Paul of Tarsus. Because this person was claiming AIDS discrimination. Said I was discriminating them based on their age. So I thought, I'm going to be a little smart aleck. So put that at the bottom of the email. And I thought it was great. 
But what attitude is that in, church? What attitude is that in? I used a scripture to send a zinger to someone, you know, that they never saw. I can guarantee you they never saw it. It'll probably end up in court one day. (laughs) Oh, man. (sighs) But everyone who hears these sayings of mine does not do them. We like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house. And it fell. And great was its fall. So are you going to be wise or are you going to be foolish? You're going to build your house on the rock? You're going to build your house in the sand? If you listen to the words of Christ and, and you go and you forgive those people. And they might be sitting right next to you. They might be the people you see first thing in the morning. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his teaching. And he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. This comes from Almighty God. That's why it was with authority. So church, we're going to, the booth's going to play music. If you've got some, someone in this congregation that you need to talk with, to pray with, to ask for forgiveness, from them or tell them that, you know, hey, I'm sorry. Um, I'm holding unforgiveness in my heart towards you. Or if there's someone that you work with that you're holding unforgiveness in your heart towards or, or someone in this church, to bring it before God. Ask that God gives you the words to speak. Ask him if he gives you love, that you can demonstrate love to them. Scripture says to Pray for your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. Those who bring wrong against you. And it's hard. It's really hard. It's the hardest thing that we can do. Because everything within us says no. Screams no. Don't do it. But that's the best way for us to to demonstrate the love of Christ. Because that's what he did for us. He forgave us. While we were yet sinners... We didn't deserve it. The altars are open.